grab your Bibles and the outline that's in the bulletin. I've shared with you before that it's your job to bring your Bible. It's my job to make it worth it that you brought your Bible. And today there's a lot of scriptures that are printed in the outline there for you, not so you get accustomed to not bringing your Bible, but because we're going to be through a number of different passages of scripture. It's kind of a roadmap for you to anticipate where we're going to be going. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to kind of turn ahead and follow with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and look at the scripture that's there on the outline. Last week we started a series with half of you. Uh, as we had the, the blizzard that hit us. Uh, but we started a series entitled, First. What you do first impacts the rest. And we began to see how that God demands to be first in our life. It doesn't matter if you have God as your number one priority or not. You and I cannot affect God being first. It's a part of His nature. It's a part of who He is. You know, there's just some things about God that... That is just who he is. You know, God can't change. You know, if God could change, then he could get a little bit better. And if he could get better, then that means he wouldn't be the best. But God is the best. He can't change. That's just who he is. You know, Scripture tells us that God doesn't think the way you and I think. We think to figure things out. We, well, we try to figure things out. Well, we think, we say, oh, that, that dawned on me or that just occurred to me. You know, God never, ever went... You know what? I just, I just thought of that. God doesn't do that. God knows everything all the time at once. He's all-knowing. That's who God is. That's a part of his nature. And just like that, God is above all. He is first. And so as we look at what God is going to teach us and putting him first in our life, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the scriptures calling for him to be first in our finances, and we may come back to that in, a little bit later in the series. But God is first. And he's calling us to put him first in our life. I want you to think about this word, time. And uh, I want you to, to uh, think for a second, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Like if I said peanut butter, a lot of you would say jelly. Or some would say creamy or chunky, I don't know. But, but what's the first thing that comes in your mind when you think of time? Turn to the person to your left or right and just take a second, tell them, when I think of time, this is what I think of. On your marks, get set, go. Turn to them. All right, hurry up. You're running out of time. I don't know what you just heard. Maybe the person said, I hate it when Pastor Brady does this. I don't know what they said. But uh, when we think about time, something usually pops into our brain. And if I was to answer that question, it took me back to a conversation I had this week with a friend. He was telling me about meeting with uh, a vet who served as a soldier. And, and uh, he went and asked this vet, and he said, you know, uh, tell me, it's my understanding that every soldier who's in combat comes back with some kind of post-traumatic stress syndrome disorder and uh tell me what your post-traumatic stress is that vet looked at him and said you know i don't think anybody's ever asked me that before uh, many have asked me what it was like and all the details and everything over there he says i don't know if anybody's ever asked me that so he stopped and he thought for a second and he and he told him he said you know what i think my post-traumatic stress is i seem to not be able to get over the fact that i feel i lost two years of my life 
And it comes out when I put my kids to bed at night and, and uh, when I'm tucking them in, if they're not cooperating and they're wasting time, I get aggravated with my kids and, and, and I get harsh because I've got ten things I need to do before I go to bed and I already feel like I've lost two years of my life and, and time is always slipping away from me. You know, time is one of the most cherished commodities that we have. Everybody wants to make the most of their time. You can tell a lot about our society by the way we just talk about time. We say we have no time or a lack of time or not enough time. We talk about being out of time. We try to get more time or borrow time only to incur a debt. In the end, we have less time for complaining and worrying about the time that we had. Our workplaces are becoming so time conscious that time management skills and time compression techniques are the order of much of the training today. This sense of urgency creates time pressures and time stress, and then this crisis time comes, and, and we're overdue for time off, and we need time out, and we need time away. And finally, when we take time for ourselves, we feel guilty because we didn't give our family time, we didn't give our friends or parents or kids time, and, and we didn't give ministry time, or we didn't give time to community, and we begin to feel this loss of time. Resonate with anybody here today? God wants to speak to us about our time. In order for us to make the most of our time, we need to stop and look at God time. For our time to be first, or put Him first in our time rather, we need to allow Him to be in charge and to give us His purpose for our time. I want you to jot this down. The first thought I want us to to see that we're going to look in Scripture and find is that life is short. You say, well, Pastor, that's so simple. I mean, I, I want to have some meat. I want to have some stuff to sink my teeth into. It's not a complicated thought, but many of us live as if we have forever. We put off major decisions. We put off great things that God has for us as if we have decades and decades and decades and no man knows how much time we have. But life is short. Whether you have 15 years or 30 years or 50 years or 70 or 100 plus years, life is short. I've shared with you a time before, but I can give you my whole philosophy of life in 30 seconds. This life is really short. The next life is really, really long. So I've decided that I'm going to do things in this life that matter in this life. And I'm not going to do things in this life that only matter to this life. God has told us life is short. And that's what Moses was thinking about when he prayed and when he was praying for himself and for his people in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to make the most of our time. What would that look like for you today, for God to teach you this morning to make the most of your time? That's my prayer for us as a church in 2014, that we would allow God to be first in every area of our life. And if that's your prayer, I want you to press in with me over the next number of minutes and ask God to speak to you. Not just to fill out blanks in an outline, and not just to kind of sit back and and take it in, but God, I want to hear you. I don't want to hear Brady today. I want to hear you speak to me about my time. If that's your prayer, press in. He will speak to you. Because life is short, we must focus on our life vision. Jot that down. We must focus on our life vision. You say, Pastor, I don't have a life vision. Well, that's a good place to start. 
maybe set a goal this year and say, God, what is it that you, you have for me? Others, you say, well, I have a plan for my life. I remember when I was doing young adult ministry, I, I met a, 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 a lady. She was telling me about her life plan. Her plan was she was going to graduate with honors her senior year in high school, and she was going to go off to her college of choice, and she was going to graduate early at age uh, 20. And then she was going to work for a matter of years. And then at age 25, she was going to meet the man of her dreams, and she was going to marry him. At age 27, she was going to have her first child. And I was speaking to her when she was age 28. She had not graduated. She had not met anybody. Didn't have any kids. She had a plan, but it was not necessarily God's plan for her life. Just to have a plan or, or a scope or some goals is not what this is talking about. We are to have the vision that God has for us. Well, Pastor, that seems good, but, but, but why should I have to have this? Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Now, a lot of your translations will say where there is no vision, the people will perish. And this is a, a faithful translation of this this phrase, this is good, but this gives us another vantage point. And I like how the NASB says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Does your life feel like it's just popping out everywhere? Unrestrained? It's hard to manage. It's hard to keep it together. Where there's no vision from the Lord, your life will be unrestrained. It will go just every which way. A life vision will help you keep your time properly focused. If an activity doesn't square with that vision, then you don't waste time on it. Because life is short, don't spend time, invest it. Now, we spend time when we are so consumed with these inconsequential and temporary things, we spend time. But we invest time when it's things on the eternal, things that last, things that are important. Remember, all of your time is God's time. Last week we talked a little bit about our resources and how the tithe is God's. 10% of what we bring in in resources is God's. That The tithe is His. The offering is ours that we give. But our time, all of your time, all of your time, every bit of your time is God's. Well, that seems kind of selfish, God. I mean, I give you Sunday morning. I may even give you Wednesday. I may even come back on Sunday night. I'm giving you a lot of time. All of your time is God's. Don't waste your time. Invest it. So God has given you all this time. That's his gift to you. And how you invest that time is your gift to God. I want us to see that not only is life short, but time can be wasted. It can be wasted. Some of us live as if we have forever and ever and ever and ever on this earth, and we don't see how short this life is. Others, we recognize that life is short, but we say, well, that's just the time I have, and whatever will happen will happen. No, you can waste your time. You can waste your life if you're not careful. We need to live on purpose and, and live through each moment of every day on purpose. Right. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Wake up, O sleeper, God says. Wake up. Make the most of every opportunity. Understand what the Lord's will is. It's speaking clearly to us. This will affect how we invest our time. 
One way that we can do this is ask God to help us prune the activity branches in our life, in our schedule. Gene Fleming says, I view my life as a tree. The trunk is the anchor of my life, the relationship with Christ. The limbs represent the major areas of my life that God has given to me, my family, my ministry, my career, my personal development. So the trunk is my relationship with Jesus. These, these limbs are the, the major things God's given me, my family, my ministry, my career, my self-development, uh, a spiritual development that he's given to me. And the branches are the ever-growing activities that seem to spread like wildfire in my life. You begin to see that soon these branches have become overgrown, more prominent than the trunk and limbs itself. And when this happens, I feel trapped, frustrated, and empty. Why? Because my life is shaped and drained by activities. Activities that have lost their pertinence to Christ. See, you and I have more information, more opportunities available to us than any generation that has been alive. You and I are not short on stuff to read, stuff to watch, stuff to do. But we are plagued with having way too many branches that are overweighing the limbs and the trunk, and we begin to find ourselves sinking in a trap of how we waste time that God has given to us. Without a sense of purpose and direction, these are not time savers that our culture has given us, they're time stealers. Life is short. Time can be wasted. So we also need to deaccumulate our life. Now, we live in our culture gathering so much stuff. If you're like me, when you set your mind on getting something that you think that you need, you first got to research it. Maybe you go to Amazon like I do, and you want to see how many stars this product has. I don't want to buy anything that doesn't have four stars. If it's three stars, I'll let you buy it and tell me how it works out. But I want to make sure it's been reviewed and it's good. And that takes time. You have to research what it is that you want to buy. And then you have to go shopping for it. Then you've got to find the best price. You want to get the best deal. And then you find it at the best price. And once you get it, then you've got to protect that stuff. I mean, you don't want someone to steal it or, or something to break or something. So you spend time protecting it. And then that thing that you got, you have to now maintain it. You have to be a good steward of it. You have to maintain it. And, and pretty soon all your time is wrapped up in the stuff that you have. We need to deaccumulate our life. I like this quote. There are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more and more and more. The other is to desire less. Is this about being consumeristic or about my time? Yes. Because when we are consumeristic driven, material driven, it impacts our time. And God wants to be first in our time. All of our time is His. And when we allow ourselves to be so entrapped in things that have no eternal value, we miss what it is He wants to bless us with. Because time can be wasted, we need to create margins in our calendar. Set aside time each day for God interruptions. If you have a busy schedule, you have lots of appointments, you have lots of responsibilities or kids to get different places or tasks to do or, or sales calls to make, I challenge you, take five, ten minutes between each responsibility or task and create a buffer zone in your day. And allow that to be a buffer zone where you may be able to spend a moment in prayer. You may be able to call your spouse. You may be able to stop and allow God to reorient your priorities. You may be able to allow his interruptions to bless you in the day. 
I'll never forget my first year in, in ministry in, in Belton, Missouri. I was sitting there in a closet that they called an office trying to get some work done. And I just thought to myself, I actually prayed to the Lord, God, I'm, I'm plagued with all these interruptions. If you could just keep these people away from me for a little bit, I could get something done. Hello? I can laugh at myself now and say, probably the most important thing that God would bring across my path is the people that he would bring across my path is interruptions. Do you leave any room for God to interrupt your day? Now, now hear me. I'm not making a case that, that you just allow any old interruption to take you off track. There's some things that's just an interruption. It's a time waster. And, and don't do that. That's silliness. But what if it's a God interruption? Do we have any margin to distinguish between the two? God, is this you, or is this somebody who just wants to chat and chat and chat and chat and chat and chat and chat? Are you wanting me to to listen? Are you wanting to slow me down? Leave room for margins in our life. You see, this is how Jesus lived his life. Time urgency was a non-issue with him. In fact, it was conspicuously absent from his schedule. I doubt that it was absent because of his culture or his time. He chose to live differently. Christ's teaching and healing and serving in his ministry were usually spontaneous. He would always have a clear sense of who he should spend time with at that given time. He chose to live this way, shouldn't we? I don't do well in my personality when I see a truth that God has given in his word, but I don't have any handles on how to live it out tomorrow. I want to know, okay, I should make God first in my time, but, but how can I do this? Does Scripture say anything to me on what to do to put God first in my time? Philippians chapter 2 talks a lot about this. I want you to follow along with me. Three keys I want us to look at quickly. Paul is speaking, and, and we can begin to see that Paul is challenging us to have an attitude of Jesus. Now, before we get to that, Some of us, we won't even be able to unpack what it is Jesus wants to teach us about our time schedule because we haven't learned a key truth yet. This key truth is this. Being efficient is not always being effective. This is not like a play on words. Soak it in. Being efficient is not always being effective. You can live your life in a way where you can get more stuff done but not get what God wants done. God did many things throughout Scripture that was not efficient. Not at all efficient, but very effective. Look how he led his children of Israel through the the wilderness. And they they could have gone a straight path. But he was teaching some things. He was chiseling some things off. And they began to wander. It was not efficient, but very effective. God is calling us in our time to say, God, I want to be effective for you. You know, at your work. When you serve your employer the way you serve the Lord, when you are more effective than you are efficient, it will bless your employer. It will bless your business. This is a principle that goes all throughout life. If we strive just to be efficient and miss our effectiveness, we lose everything altogether. Philippians 2, 12 talks to us about how we can live this out. Work out your salvation. What in the world does that have to do with time? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He just told him to have the attitude of Jesus. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God 
who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So does this mean that we have to work and earn our salvation? Absolutely not. We are saved by grace and faith in Jesus alone. The verb translated work out in our English Bible comes from the Greek term that says to work to full completion. And to really catch this, we need to go to the next line that says, for it is God who works in you. When we work out our salvation, how does that happen? It is God who is working in us. In other words, we need to cooperate with God to have an attitude that Jesus had about time. To have his attitude, we need to do something. God's at work, but we need to cooperate with him and realize he's calling us to work out our salvation through his power and his strength to do something to have his attitude. This is foundational if we are going to be good stewards of his time. If we are wise stewards, we have to ask the question, what is really important in my life? Our highest priority has to be to have the attitude that Jesus had in his time. And the stewardship of time that Jesus had, he never worried, he never hurried, he was never in a sense of panic. There was a never of moment of remorse of time lost. He was in all instances, all circumstances, doing the work of the Father, yet displayed no classic symptoms of a workaholic. He was not absorbed by productivity that he forgot about what mattered most. Friend, if you use the word workaholic as a compliment for yourself, I want to urge you, stop it. If someone's an alcoholic, they're addicted to alcohol. If you're a workaholic, you're addicted to your work. An addiction controls you. Your work controls you. There's a better way to describe that you have a strong work ethic or or you want to work till you get it done right. And, And God wants us to work hard. But friend, we are not to be a workaholic. Jesus was never fretting and and under the constant grind of that pressure and time. Jesus had a peace about him. His time should be the way that we view our time. It is all God's. We are to work out our salvation by the power of God working in us. Next, Paul tells us to shine out our testimony. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Paul says, have the attitude of Jesus. How are we going to have the attitude of Jesus in our time? We are going to work out our salvation by the power of God working in us. There's something we're going to do to cooperate with him. And how we are going to shine out witness by not wasting time complaining or arguing. How much time do you spend bickering, complaining, whining, arguing? Now, most of us have printed it up, and we don't just flat out complain. We say things really spiritual. Well, we really need to pray, because you will not believe what's going on in my house. And this, 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 and this, this, that, and that, 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 and oh, my goodness. You know, we also do this with gossip. Nobody gossips here. We just pray for one another with a lot of juicy tidbits. Oh, would you pray for sister so-and-so? You would not believe what she did. But pray for her. But I really want you to know what she did. How about our time? What if you just allowed God to redeem the time that you wasted complaining and grumbling about the things that are not under your control? 
What if we would say, God, I can't control this stuff anyway. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to press forward in you. Amen? Oh, that's good. I don't care if you like it or not. That's good preaching. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. If you had any doubt about our generation being crooked or warped, just watch the news for a little bit. How are we going to be a light shining to them by the way we give a testimony? Hey, how about your time? Is anybody going to sense the presence of Jesus by the way you invest your time? Is anybody going to be touched by the Jesus living in you, by the way you steward your time. Making the most of our time involves a testimony and an attitude. Paul says, stop grumbling, stop complaining. Finally, Paul says, hold out or hold on to the word of life. Philippians 2.16, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Hold out, hold on to the word of Christ. God has spoken in his written word. God has given us his son, the living word. We are to be saturated. There is no way that a Christian can stand against the evils of the world around us and their own strength. You will not have enough time. You will not have enough energy. But if in your time you invest your time with the attitude of Jesus, working out your salvation through God, working through you, you doing something, invest your time to be saturated in the written and the living word of God. Now, some of us, we like one of those, but not so much time with the other. Some of us, we love to camp out with the written Word of God. Oh, it feels good to sit down and be standing all day. We just camp out with the written Word of God. We're going to study it and memorize it and read it. And this is good. We are to know the Word of God. But we love to know things. We love to memorize things, facts and charts and graphs and and. and Time and all kinds of things come together and we we love this. Do we spend any time with the living word of God, Jesus? Well, I want to kind of be able to control the written word of God a little bit. We are to be saturated not only with the written word of God, but with the living word of God, Jesus. There's others who we err on the other side when we look at how we spend our time. We love to to be in the presence of Jesus. We love to soak up and worship and, and sit in times of, of saturating ourselves. And this is good and this should happen. But we sit here and we wonder why I, I, I just don't feel it today. I, I just don't have clear direction today. Are we spending any time in the written word? God gave us the written and the living word to come together to change us, to, to impact us, and it should change the way you spend your time. How? Well, if if I am saturated, if from the very inside out of my pores is oozing the truth of the written word and a relationship with the living word, I begin to see things differently. I begin to move differently. We begin to hold out and hold on to the word of life. Our responsibility before God is underscored by one biblical metaphor after another where clay we're branches, we're vessels, we're ambassadors, we're soldiers, we're watchmen, we're servants. But notice that every one of these implies responsibility and responsibility to yield fully to Christ and to live in absolute obedience to Him. Friend, are you obedient to Christ with your time? Are you putting God first in the time that He has given 
to you. All of your time is God's time. Now, now what does that mean, Pastor? That I should never, ever take a day off. I should never play games. I should never watch sports. I should never go on a vacation. Absolutely not. In fact, that misunderstanding misses the whole point of what God does with our time. Get, get, Get this. God created you to laugh. He created you to cry. He created you to work. He created you to rest. He created you the way you are, the interests that you have. Some of you like details. You're strange people. I don't know why he did that. God made you that way. Some of you like big picture dream things. We're weird too. God made us that way. And what happens is when I give God and you give God all of our time, he can redeem that time, whether we're laughing, whether we're crying, whether we're working, whether we're resting, and we can experience the fullness that he has for us when he is first in our time. So this doesn't mean that a good Christian who puts God first in his time only just kneels at the altar and reads his Bible and never leaves, never walks away, never eats, never goes on vacation, never has fun. No, but allows God to be first in those times. How many of you know that you can have five vacations and come home exhausted? Some of you had one Christmas vacation and now you need another vacation. You hang out with some people that you love, but they wore you out. But how many of you know that you can have 60 minutes? You can have one hour where God has put first in in some play time where he can recharge your battery. You see, when we allow God to have our recreation time, it's not just recreation. He can recreate you in what it is that you're doing. Allow God to be first in all of your time. Now, what did we learn? I'm going to work out my salvation. There's something for me to do. God's strength in me. There's something for me to do. I'm going to be a witness and a testimony to the hope that I have in Jesus the way I spend my time. And I'm going to saturate myself with the, with the written and with the living word of Jesus. And God, you help me invest that time the way you want. Life is short. We can waste our time. We can use our time like Jesus. It does a lot of things to impact what happens in this earth. But in rapid fire in the next 120 seconds, I want to remind you, That what you do with your time will last for all of eternity. You and I will be held accountable for how we use our time. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. How, How does this happen? Well, we will be judged concerning salvation. By our relationship with Jesus. Now don't miss this. We'll all be held accountable for our time. We'll be judged concerning salvation by our relationship with Jesus. That means that we are saved by God's grace and our faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's nothing that we do. It's our relationship with Jesus that our salvation is determined. But scripture also tells us all of us will be judged and held accountable for the deeds Determining the degree of reward that he gives to us. Well, where does that come from? Well, well, it's all over scripture. Here's just a few. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Revelation 2.23 I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus tells us, store for yourself treasures in heaven, not treasures here on earth that... 
will be destroyed. God says, take your time, invest it. I have given you your time. All of the time is God's time. Now, your gift to God is how you invest it. I'm going to invite Pastor Edgar and the worship team up as we get ready to close. I shared with the crowd last week who braved the storm a little bit of what God was doing in my life and the journey that he has me on for a 40-day journey. And if you want to know about that, I'll talk to you about that individually. But I do want to give you an opportunity uh, that I gave everybody else last week. There's 28 days remaining in this journey God's taking me on. And and one of the things he's teaching me on how to invest my time in prayer and seeking him. But I would love the privilege to be praying for you specifically. I'm praying through the pictorial directory here at Grace Point. And so if your picture's not in there, uh, then let's get it in there. We're trying to get a lot of you. Some of you just don't like your picture taken. That's okay. I just pray for your name, not your picture. But I'd love to pray more specific. And if I could be lifting you up, there are some note cards up here. And if you would just write your first and last name on the note card and how I could be praying for you specifically, I'd love to be praying for you every day, the remainder of this 40-day period. And you can fold it if you'd like, if it's confidential, and leave it in a basket here. But my prayer is that God would redeem the time that he's given to us and allow us to put him first. And it will impact everything else, not just in our life, but in our church and in our city. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning that have so attentively listened to your word. I pray that you would allow your truth to take root in their heart today. Let it flourish and blossom and and produce great nutrients for their soul. Your word never comes back void. And so, God, let us feast on what you're teaching us over and over, not just this morning, but throughout the week. God, you are first. Lord, teach us to put you first in our time. Lord, I pray that you will not let anybody feel unnecessary shame or guilt today. I don't believe that's your message today. You want to send people out recognizing that all of us have another day of life. We don't know how many days we have. We all have the same amount of time. Tomorrow we'll have 24 hours in the day for every one of us. God, encourage us to take 100% of the time we have left and invest it in the things you're calling us to. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Stand and sing together.